Greetings, everyone. I'm excited to welcome Bipple Shaw, co-founder and CEO and CFO at SaaSworks. Bipple, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Ben. Two hefty titles there. So you're you're filling both roles right now? Yeah, and, and I figured, you know, given we are a CFO platform, you know, we're taking dog fooding to the next level where I'm using our platform to understand revenue, to raise capital, to do all those sort of things. And I've always had an affinity for finance. I also played with the first company I started. I played the CFO role for quite a few years. In addition to being a coder at that time, I was not the CEO. I was a co-founder, coder, and CFO. Oh, wow. Yeah, look, coder and CFO, I love that combination. So yeah, let's let's dive in. You tell, tell us a little bit about your background, but yeah, start. Yeah, let, let's hear a little bit about your background. So I started out, my first foray into the technology world was incidentally just right out of high school, about a year and a half out of high school, co-founded my first business. And it was a enterprise software business, financial services data. So learned a lot about finance, data, accuracy, et cetera. A lot of things that are uh, pertinent to what we do today as well. And, you know, the interesting thing is that you, as you hear the next phase in my career, uh, it, it'll, it'll sound pretty ironic. But basically, I didn't know about venture capital, private equity, anything. So we bootstrapped that business. And so Ben, like you and I have talked a few different times, deep, deep soft spot for anybody that bootstraps a business to a few million or how many ever millions of revenue. So we, we bootstrapped the business. It was out of Birmingham, Alabama, of all places. And the internet was coming about. So this is mid nineties and we had a lot of fun and the business was 10 in revenue before we ever took a dime of outside capital, highly profitable. And we didn't know there was any other way to do this. And then as the business grew, we, we started to learn. Now, the person that's my co-founder today at SaaSworks, uh, Jim O'Neill, he actually joined us, you know, six, seven years into the business. We met him six, seven years into the business. He joined us in the early 2000s as CTO, then became president of CTO. Taught us a little bit about we don't have to be pure product only. He brought in a little bit of services revenue. We tripled the business and we sold it in 2005, late 2005. So that was a really fun journey. That was life 1.0 for Jim and I. Life 2.0 for Jim. He went on to go build. He went on to go build at HubSpot. He was the founding CTO there, CIO, CPO, wore a lot of different hats. For me, maybe to some of the listeners' dismay, I switched to the dark side. I joined the investing world because I went from not knowing anything about it to really being intrigued about it. I joined the private equity and growth equity team at Goldman working on tech, tech-enabled service and, you know, recurring revenue businesses. Then I worked at a startup fund for a few years, which we grew to a few billion of AUM. And then I was running a fund with a friend towards the end. And so 12 years, coder, co-founder, wore a lot of CFO hat for a few years. And the next 12 years, investor, financing, growing businesses, working with founders. So it was really fun. And now... I feel uh, pretty fortunate to get to work with Jim again and bringing together Life 1.0 and 2.0 together and Life 3.0. So that's that's me. great. Yeah, now that, that's great. Now, did I hear that right? I took some notes that you that business we, you talked about scaling it was out of high school that you did that? Yeah, I, had, I was 18. So it was after high school, right after high school. I did my undergrad nights and weekends, um, Rodney Dangerfield style. It almost took me 12 and a half years to finish my undergrad. Which is, incidentally, we ran the business 12 and a half years. So I graduated two things at the same time. 
we graduated from selling the first business and I graduated from undergrad. Oh, that's funny. I think I knew some people at CU Boulder. It took them 12 years anyway just to graduate from Boulder. But so amazing right out of high school and starting your journey with and then Jim joining you and now coming back and, and bringing the team back together. So appreciate that intro. So let's talk about your current project, SaaSWorks. Tell us about the products and services that SaaSWorks offers. Yeah. So today, SaaSWorks is a continuous finance platform. We're focused on serving the office of the CFO. And it's based on the thesis, you know, we, we've had this thesis for several years now. I think 2015 is the first time I called Jim and he said, Hey, you know, the office of the CFO is becoming a strategic driving force within every business. And it's becoming a core front office function. It's in charge of creating cross-functional collaboration. It's owning continuous visibility into the data and what's driving the business. So let's go build a. Let's go build a solution that serves that, you know, serves that uh, office of the modern CFO. So that's what we do today. Now, what does it mean to be a continuous finance platform? Right now, our core focus is around revenue and how to help you drive quality of revenue. So we will bring in data from your CRM, your finance platform, your product log files, anything that has data or metadata that can inform uh, firmographic, demographic information around who your customers are so that we can deeply segment and cohort that customer base. And the difference is we're doing this in a continuous fashion. So the data is ingested every day. We're, we've built a data integrity monitoring agent that monitors the integrity of your financial data every day. Uh, for example, if there's a close one deal in Salesforce and three days later it either gets discounted or deleted, as a finance leader, you want to know about it 9 a.m., not 2 a.m. when you're closing your books for the end of the month. So we've been building out these suite of uh, digital agents or digital workers, whatever you want to call it. You could use fancy terms like AI, ML, RPA, et cetera. We're using all the tools and techs available to us to say, how do we take the most mundane manual part of what the finance team does today, take that off their plate, have them go much more into the strategic storytelling and decisioning part uh, of what we do today. So today we do that for growth equity, private equity backed businesses. It tends to be sort of series B or later businesses, think kind of 10-ish million of ARR. And if it's a business that has uh, ARR and other revenue, then it can be 20 million and above in revenue. And then we haven't found a ceiling yet, but the floor is only because when you're at two, three million in revenue, your real focus is on getting quantity of revenue and you're not obsessed on quality of revenue. And just priorities are different. The complexity is different. So we tend to come in at that growth equity stage. Yeah. And let's, I don't want to assume here because when we talk quality of revenue and obviously it's like, what is my, you know, it's surprising, you know, some companies don't know what is my actual customer count or user count. What is my actual MRR, right? Just some of those basics. I know it goes from there, retention, but although when we talk quality of revenue, is that what we're talking about? Yes. So all the things, quality of revenue is, is an umbrella for saying, okay, what are all the things that impact the multiple and multiplier of a SaaS business and the value of a SaaS business? And that should be on somebody's radar, whether they're raising capital or not. Now, most of our customers have either raised capital or raising capital, but we have several bootstrap businesses as well uh, that are customers. So if you're not going to be raising capital, and you might care less about the multiple and multiplier today 
but you're going to care about saying, am I compounding capital efficiently? And those can be sort of feel like two sides of the same coin uh, based on where you are. Now, for the businesses, 95% of businesses are raising some sort of capital just because SaaS businesses need capital. It might be equity. It might be debt. It might be growth equity, private equity, venture, whatever that might be. So understanding that, now when we think about the multiple of the multiple that applies, you know, which is top of mind for most CFOs, if you're inside a recurring revenue business or a SaaS business, that has so many different factors that impact it. Investors are going to want to understand how strong is your customer selection. And one of the ways they're going to understand that is by seeing what's your gross retention like. Then they're going to try and understand and say, okay, how good is your product market fit? And are you sticking to your customer selection? That's going to show up in your gross margin, lifetime value, revenue per employee, net dollar retention. There's a lot of different KPIs. And today, as the office of the CFO takes on more and more, you know, even RevOps, SalesOps, a lot of different groups are reporting into the office of the CFO. Today, I think for about 60% of our customers, RevOps, SalesOps, and uh, any kind of BizOps is now at least dotted line, if not directly reporting to them. So we believe that to get, get those teams out of calculating those KPIs, getting and keeping that data accurate, they need a continuous finance solution. And that's what we mean by driving quality of revenues. If they can see which segments are breaking out so they can press their bets or which segments are broken so they can pull their bets and evaluate what's going on, that requires continuous visibility into all these metrics. And there's about a dozen to two dozen metrics that we monitor continuously. And, you know, there's always a top five, you know, Ben, you know this better than anybody. You're always coaching folks on this is which five matter to you the most. And that based, that's based on the business model. Yeah, I mean, really interesting because you think like there are four key data sources that I that I use as a CFO, one financial, of course, HRS data, bookings data, and then customer slash revenue data. And oftentimes that is the hardest to find or if it exists, you know, to create those revenue schedules to understand the, really the health of your recurring revenue. And it's so important, especially as you scale and then you start segmenting or by product line or by geo or ICP and like you said, the, all the metadata that you can attach to that so you can make better decisions. So I love that. And yeah, the, the off of this office of CFO, it's I just released my fifth annual tech stack report. My first report was six software categories. Now I'm up to 21, some directly, you know, driven by the CFO, some overlapping with the CFO, yep. but just becoming more complex, you know, and tech's so important for, for the CFO. So appreciate that background. So what year did you found SaaSworks? So we founded SaaSworks in mid-2019, late 2019. Okay. And you guys have a... timed it six months before COVID. Oh, yeah. I've talked to a lot of founders who is you know, right before COVID or started during COVID, but yeah. And do you have a headquarters location? Yeah, we're based in the burbs of Boston. So I'm chatting with you right now from our offices in Burlington, Massachusetts. Okay, great. Boston area. And then what's your current team size? So we're about 20 people today. 20 staff. Okay, perfect. And anything you want to share around your ARR range or revenue range? So today we're, we're a few million of ARR. More exciting than where we are in ARR is till date until about three weeks ago, we did not have any sales team or marketing team 
as of now, we are the, the, we're proud to share. Actually, we haven't fully announced this externally yet, but we now have an amazing three person sales team. And that's leveraging into the product market fit we found. So for any of the you know, listeners here as well, one of the reasons we chose to do that, Ben, is a product market fit, if you've got good patient investors, and we're really blessed with the investors we have, they said, before you go in and start to really add a big sales team and figure out how you're going to sell, you guys have done the research behind this market, you know the market, you've lived it. Go prove out the product market fit first and then bring in the folks. So what we've done is get to where we are today in a very capital efficient manner with no sales or marketing team. And for anybody listening to this, if you go to our website, it will prove to you we have not spent any dollars on marketing in terms of where we are. But what's amazing, Ben, about the CFO community is, you know, I remember 2022, we grew 100% and two thirds of the customers we got were referrals. It was either referrals from an existing investor that had a portfolio company that wanted to give us another portfolio company, or it was a CFO saying, hey, this thing rocks, try it out, see if it works for you. So that's where we are today. Okay. And yeah, let's give a shout out to the investors. So you said very patient investors. So who are some of the investors currently? So what we did is, you know, we knew building something like this, our platform is one size fits one. It adapts to your platform. It's deep on data. It's got this agent-based framework. All these fancy words are to say, we knew that it was going to be expensive to build. So our angel round we raised was, was right at 6 million. And two thirds of it was institutional capital. It's a, it's conversion venture capital out of New York. They're invested in, in all different scales of businesses, but their business originally for the team that runs that platform. They've built multiple investment firms. And so they understood the problem of the CFO, what it's like when a CFO has a board and what the reporting is. And then a third of the capital in both our rounds, and I'll talk about the second round in a second, we kept for strategic individuals and they've been amazing river guides for us. From folks that ran S&P and CapIQ, having really seen data products to multi-time CFOs to data executives. So in that first round, you know, a third of the capital, which was a significant amount of capital given a 6 million round, came from six or seven individuals that have just been a blessing for us in terms of helping us think through the product strategy and what our CFO is really looking for. So that was the first round. Second round, I want to give a shout out to Fraser Anderson at Vestigo Ventures, which is a newish firm, you know, six years old, investing. That's a new firm when you're six years old. Amazing background of operators. That was also a $6 million uh, seed round, which we did in 2022. We kept the same ratio, two-thirds institutional, one-third individual. And we were lucky to get a few more CFOs in and, and a couple of folks on the data side to help us. And the mandate from both investors was, this is a big problem. It's a hard problem. And you're starting on the revenue and customer side, which is the hardest part to solve. Like you said, uh, we totally agree. So let's go build that out. And so now we've got product market fit and we're, we're hitting the scale button this year. Okay. That's awesome. So six and six, 12 million raised. And I'll get to, to the fundraise part in a bit, but I want to circle back because I was going to ask a go-to-market question, which is very timely because it sounds like founder-led sales. You just hired your first sales team. So you have a sales team of three. So tell us, I guess, how you're finding prospects under founder-led sales and how is that going to change uh, under uh, a sales-led motion? 
So one thing that I don't think is going to change is with the finance community, you know, I just can't picture a CFO at two in the morning scrolling LinkedIn to say, let me find some really new tool to buy, take some risk on, on something I've never heard about. I just don't think it works that way. At least that's my opinion. It's a very tight-knit community. And so community-led growth and customer-led growth was core in how we did founder-led sales. And I don't see that changing. And so the sales team we brought on are really excited about this idea of feeding into community-led growth. So that part is not going to change. In terms of the way we were approaching things is, you know, early on, the customers, you're basically earning the right to say, hey, give us a shot. And you're proving out that, hey, does this work? Now that our early cohorts are into their third year renewal, 95% have stayed with us. You know, we now have testimonials. We now have case studies that we're able to share. And so now we can start to reach out directly to CFOs. That's one strategy we're adding that we had not done before. I think the community side is going to stay in place. And the other thing we're doing is we've now got the bandwidth to also work more closely with other river guides, other affiliates, including the investment firms to say, hey, we've now got the ability to take on more volume. So you are going to see our website change in the next two, three months. There's a lot of tooling we've brought in because we also want to continue with our capital efficient manner. So we've grown the business to where we are in a very capital efficient way, always focusing on revenue per employee RPE and gross retention and gross margin have been core core drivers of how we build a business. So we're going we're gonna to do that. We are bringing in quite a bit of AI into the go-to-market process. And the goal is to say, okay, we've got a sales team of three and we brought in fairly experienced folks. One's been doing mid-market sales for almost 10 years. One's been doing FP&A sales for almost 10 years. And we're really lucky. Uh, you'll see a press release go out in a few weeks about the CRO and residents we brought in to help lead this effort. So now they don't have BDRs today. And what we're going to do is combine AI plus uh, a very experienced BDR to say, hey, here's how we're going to help you scale effectively so you reach out. Another thing that we're going to bring into the mix is can we verticalize our outreach approach so that we do it in a capital efficient manner? Okay. Okay. Appreciate Yeah. Appreciate that insight. So yeah, exciting times hiring the uh, first sales team. So back to the 12 million. So you've raised six and six for 12 and tell us about that. You know, what, what was the trigger to raise? You had mentioned a, maybe a more intensive product to build out, you know, so what was the logic around say your first and, and second raise or one of those raises? Yeah. To me, I think of three things outside of the need for capital. It's is chemistry and culture fit are, are are the core things. And then the capital raising process, I think, you know, I know most of your audience is CFOs, but I'm sure there's CEOs listening and other team members listening as well. It's idiosyncratic. So the first capital raise was straightforward. It was somebody we had known for a long time that was excited about this idea. And they brought a ton of expertise towards this problem right folks to bring in. And the quantum of capital was important so that we could spend a couple of years building without having the pressure for selling. 
are very grateful that our investors allowed us to just build for two years rather than having to sell because most companies have to sell within nine to uh, nine to 15 months of starting the business. So that was the first leg of the capital. That was great. And by the time Vestigo came in, we had already crossed, you know, again, within our first six months of selling, we were past a million of ARR. And so with them, you know, we just built a relationship. We had met them a year and a half before that. We said, guys, we just raised capital. We don't really need any capital. And we're not spending much of it either. So but we got to know them. We love that their team has an operating background for us. The fact that they're local mattered to us. And they're focused on fintech. And there's an element of what we're doing that has the fintech angle to it just because of the way we work and who we serve. So it just, it just felt right. And what I found, and I've lived on both sides, it's always best to raise capital when you don't need it. And so when, when Vestigo came in, we did not need the capital at that time, but they were the right partner for us. Uh, and um, so that's been a good partnership. Did I answer your question? I want to make yeah. sure I'm answering the right. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Right and, and so for those founders listening, any, any lessons learned that you'd like to pass on or tips and tricks, say with that seed raise or a founder who's thinking about that first capital raise, because you've been on now both sides of the table, founder founder again, investor. So any tips for those founders who are thinking about that first raise? Um, don't underestimate the benefit of building a relationship because it helps both ways. You yourself are going to negotiate differently when it's a firm you feel like, hey, this is going to be fun. We're going to get along. We're going to have a good time together. And they're going to bring some of the right coaching. From the investor's point of view, I won't speak on behalf of our investors, but I'll speak as an investor. For me, the deals that got done the fastest were where we had spent some time building trust. And if you can build that trust when it's a less transactional environment. So the first time I met in either round, we just met very casually and just got to know each other because that way you're not under this pressure to pitch. So if I can say one thing, don't put yourself, if you can, and it's hard to avoid sometimes, but if you can, don't put yourself under the pressure to pitch. And so that's why kind of building some relationships early, that's one side. The other is, you know, figure out like the top five things that matter to you. And I'll, I'll give as an example what matter to us and say, what three are you willing to not compromise on? So for us, we wanted some operational background. We wanted to know that they understood our space. And we wanted to know that they were going to be direct with us when we needed guidance and coaching, which every founder does. And this is not mine or Jim's first rodeo, but every rodeo is completely different from each other. And so you, you list out those four or five things for us, you know, to our surprise, like for these really early rounds, folks being in the Northeast and we're in the Northeast, that mattered to us, it turns out. I think if you'd asked me in a vacuum, Ben, I would have said, I don't know if that really matters. Turned out when Jim and I sat down together, we're like, well, actually that matters to us. So that would be my other guidance. And I think, I think the other thing is on the round size, you know, too big, too small, either can work not in your favor. So if your eyes get too big, I think if we had tried to raise a seed round that was much bigger, I don't know what we would have done with the capital. And an investor is going to sense that. And what that's also going to do is your plan isn't going to sound as crisp. Because investors are going to want to know what are you going to do with that capital? And is there a thoughtful plan? 
to go with it. So when, when the quantum sounds too small, that can create risk in terms of, okay, are you going to be able to execute on the strategy you have in mind? And when the number is too big, it can create uncertainty on, is the plan rock solid? Do they know how they're going to spend it? And then last, but definitely not least, good news fast, bad news faster. It's going to come out no matter what. So no better way to build trust with somebody that you're about to add to your board than to have a policy of good news fast, bad news faster. I would recommend that when you start and on an ongoing basis. If you're going to get penalized for reporting the news, probably not the right partner for you anyway. Yeah, yeah, I love that, right? Because you want to have then a good, yeah, if it's bad news, but you still want to have a good discussion around that news. Yeah, yeah, I love that. So your platform producing a lot of data metrics, health of recurring revenue streams. So I'm curious at your current stage of your business, are there, is there a favorite number or metric that you're focused on to guide SaaSworks? So we do everything in threes at SaaSworks. Three is the perfect number. I don't know. We're obsessed with the number three. So I'll tell you the three metrics we focus on the most. Now we are, we don't sell to enterprises, but ours is an enterprise motion. So for any of the listeners, think of this as a B to small, medium enterprise sales motion, but it's an enterprise solution for that market. And that was something we were really excited about doing is bringing something enterprise scale to SMEs. So for us, managing and monitoring the revenue per employee really matters because today we provide, you know, we do the full onboarding for you, right? And the reason is most finance tools take six to nine months to implement, and we get you up and running within a few weeks. So how does that tie into RPE? If we're not efficient with our onboarding process, our team size is going gonna, is gonna to start to grow. So the other thing we're looking at is in this world of AI, ML, and all the tools available, are we hiring the right team members, whether it's engineering, product, et cetera? And that also shows up in RPE, right? Uh, is everybody using Copilot the right way? Is everybody using the automation tools that we brought into place the right way, right? So RP is a good measure to just understand, are you growing capital efficiently? Second thing we go to is gross customer retention, particularly at our stage. You know, we're, we're approaching that A stage. Some would say we're A ready. I think we're, we're A ready in a, in a couple of months, but we're not raising right now, is gross retention. Right now, it's less about price. It's less about anything else. Are your customers staying? Do they like what you're doing? Are they renewing? So gross because customer retention is really big. Now, as we get bigger, I'm sure in the top three, maybe NDR will sneak it, net dollar retention. But today we obsess on gross retention. And the third is gross margin, which is another very hidden way to start to figure out if you've got good product market fit. Are you just continuously building features to keep up with what the customers are looking for because you don't have the product right? Are there other things going on? So what I found is, and what Jim found is, we came up with those in partnership to say, if we have these three for the type of platform we're building, we know this is working. And those three then become something that the team monitors. We talk to the team about it. It explains how we're doing our hiring. So those are our three metrics. Revenue per employee, gross retention, gross margin. Yeah. Yeah. Those, those are important metrics. You almost named kind of my pillars one through three on my metrics framework, but 
yeah, revenue per FTE, org efficiency, retention, of course, so important, and then margins. You got to understand COGS versus OPEX, your overall gross profits. So I love those. So Vibble, we'll really appreciate your time today. So what's coming up next for SaaSWorks? So look out for some fun news this summer. We spent last year, you know, we're, we're, we're a new company, we're a baby company still. But with the advent of AI and ML, what we're looking for is as we build out technology to take more and more off the plate of, of the office of the CFO, particularly, you know, we're focused on taking the mundane and manual work off their plate. We are, our platform now, the entire data architecture runs on an AI LLM ready architecture. You could call it bleeding. It, well, it is bleeding edge technology in terms of what we're doing. So what we're doing is we've been embedding AI, ML, RPA, and other technologies like that inside the platform. Summer is about bringing some of that externally to our users. And just imagine being able to go ask the question, tell me what my best segment is and why, putting that in English into your platform, right? And it leveraging your customer cube or your, or, or your data lake to answer those questions. So that's one big thing coming uh, by the end of the year. Uh, we're going to do this whole journey of quality of revenue to quality of margins to quality of earnings. So the goal is to end the year starting to obsess on quality of margins because we think if RPA is a big metric for investors in 2024, gross margin percentage is going to be a big metric for 2025 if it isn't already this year. So our goal is attend that and then the you know, third is to just keep advancing the features we have today. Okay. Okay. Yes. Yeah, exciting. Looking forward to that. So appreciate your time sharing your journey experience today. If listeners would like to learn more about SaaSWorks, where should we send them online? Yeah. So our website, well, it's not much to write about, does have our contact information, www.sasworks.com. Or feel free to just ping me. If, if you're a strategic finance leader and you want to learn about what we're doing, even if it's just to see how we're doing it, Vipul, V-I-P-U-L at sasworks.com. Just ping me directly and would be, would be happy to chat. I love chatting with finance teams. Well, perfect. So check out sasworks.com or just hit up Vipul directly at Vipul at sasworks.com. And again, really appreciate your time today. All right. Thank you, Ben.